Yo, what's good? This is Singar Superior. And before we get into this episode, I just want to put out a little disclaimer real quick to let you guys know that the almighty AR will not be on this episode. He is currently on hiatus. You know, we are both busy people. Uh, he is a busy man, so he just couldn't make it for this episode. So be sure to show him love at thealmightyar.com and at, and at It's Artic on Twitter and on Instagram. Um, and check out his club music project, 410 Music Factory, at 410musicfactory.com. It was an honor to have uh, 60 East on this episode. Um, 60 East, you know, just being an independent artist and talking about his upbringing, uh, his trials and tribulations as an artist, the way he's become now in his career, doing, uh, you know, doing tours um, all across the globe, getting these bags, was an inspiration for me as an artist, and, and I'm pretty sure that the almighty AR would approve of this episode um, nonetheless. So with that being said... Please be sure to hit us up at channel10podcast at gmail.com to let us know how we're doing. Uh, give us comments if we're doing great, if we're doing bad. And, you know, give us some uh, some feedback on maybe other guests we should have on the show. And also, be sure to hit us up at channel10podcast.com. Hit us up on Twitter at channel10pod. Okay, keep up with me at singardsuperior.com and at singardsuperior on Twitter. And you can find me and the Almighty AR somewhere lurking on Apple Music, on Spotify, on Tidal, you know, wherever you stream your music or wherever you find your music, we are there for real. And 60 East is also. So without further ado, here is 60 East. Um, Channel 10. And we used to think that people would catch on. You know but if you're not from Queens, <laughs> if you don't got time Warner or whatever, <laughs> like, well, I didn't know do it, yo. Yo, what up, man? It's a different channel, son. What up, horn, man? What up? Watch the channel, son. Different plane now, man. So good. What up? All good, baby, in every hood, son. What up, yo? CNN. Network Channel 10, it's on again. Street niggas, it's grown men. Whoa, face, get in your face. Stay in place, yo. Crime lace, cast more beef than Scarface. CNN Network Channel 10, it's on again. Street niggas, it's grown men. Whoa, face, get in your face. Stay in place, yo. Crime lace, cast more beef than Scarface. Yo, we are back once again. This is the Channel 10 podcast. It is I, Singard Superior. Um, and I am not alongside the Almighty AR. Uh, the Almighty AR is on hiatus right now, so it's just me doing my thing, having some really dope and awesome guests on. So uh, for our little comeback, I know it's been a while. Uh, we have 60 East in the building. 60 East, say what's good to the people, man. What's going on? Cool, man. And um, I know, uh, well, we were just talking a little um, for a little bit right before this, and uh, this is your third interview for the day. Um, and you've been just running across the globe, man, getting these checks real quick, man, it seems like. Yeah, man, you know, just, you know, trying trying to stay busy, trying to get the name out. Right, 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 man. And um, I, I must say, man, just everything that, that you do, your whole infrastructure, you got a podcast going on, you blog, you do the music, you're touring, the interviews and everything like that. I mean, you're just like a real uh, real inspiration, you know, like the people like, I mean, for people like me um, and my co-host, the Almighty AR, because, you know, we're both artists ourselves. And so we just really appreciate having um, independent artists on um, to come o- to come over and bless our podcast. Yeah, thank you, man. Yeah. Hey, it's dope you guys dope you guys have a platform for, for artists like us. 
Yeah, man. Yeah, you know. But you know, we we still trying to get to your level, man. <laughs> we still trying to get to your level. So what we do here is uh, we really go back and we want to like talk about your upbringing and everything like that. So you're from Ontario, California, right? Yeah. Right. Um. And so um. So for 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 the listeners who don't know, the Ontario Ontario California is a part of, like this large metropolitan area called the Inland Empire, right? Yeah. Now, when it comes to the Inland Empire, and I don't know that much, I um I just learned about it today, honestly. Um, what are the what are some of the other larger cities that um encompass this Inland Empire? Um, the cities uh, everybody probably knows is uh Riverside and San Bernardino, San Bernardino, where you know they they had the terrorist shooting, um mm-hmm. last last December, uh, Riverside. And um, I mean, Rancho Cucamonga, it came out in, in the next Friday movie. A lot of people <laughs> refer to us from that. OK. OK. Honestly, you, you, um, Rancho Cucamonga, I thought that was like a made up town. I never knew that was like a real thing. No, that, that's a real city. <laughs> that, that's actually like right down the street. Oh, damn, man. Um, and then so Ontario is what, 35 miles away from L.A., right? Yeah. From from downtown, we're about we're about 30, 20, 30 minutes from downtown LA. Okay, cool. Um, so yeah, so, uh, so yeah, so like what was your upbringing like? Um, I know that I, I was listening to, um, one of your podcast episodes with you and Omega, who, by the way, I may say is a, is a really dope producer, by the way. Um, and you talked about originally growing up in Hispanic community and then you moved to a, a kind of a mixed race community and then this is how you're uh, you get you get deeper into hip-hop and I did not believe your older brother also um so so what was moving to a newer neighborhood like for you and then um you know were your parents involved um into did, did your parents do music at all um at some point and what did you listen to growing up um I mean just just moving to to Philly what we call it Okay. Um, it was cool. I mean, you know, we grew up. There was like a lot of apartments uh, on the street, so it's you know a lot of kids, a lot of people, a lot of different cultures, a lot of different races, and you know, growing up on the same block, we would all come together. And the thing that that brought us together was uh, was hip hop. I mean, for the most part, it was hip hop and weed, and um, so that's kind of you know what brings what brought people together, and you know, we started building from there. And uh, I mean, my parents weren't into too into music. They were more, you know, you know, more hard, hardworking people. You know, like the the typical immigrant American story. They came here, you know, trying trying to you know work work their asses off to get you know any little thing that they could. So you know, passion projects like music and stuff like that were were kind of out of the out of the way for them. Mm-hmm. You know, they they kind of you know came up and you know were able to stabilize themselves out here and you know create luckily you know they they created opportunities for you know me and my brother to be able to chase music and stuff like that and uh i mean growing up i listened to a um i was always a hip-hop head you know my older brother he he was just he was um i would say more musically inclined because Mm -hmm. around the same time growing up you know my parents put me into sports and they put him into piano classes and you know, I, I was doing karate, and he was doing music classes and stuff like that. So that that's kind of how like that we grew up separated. But you know, he was always more musically inclined than me, and even to this day, you know, he's still a producer, DJ, and stuff like that. But I always got my music from him. Okay, and um, uh, well, by the way, um, well, oh, I guess first of all, um, uh, where do your parents come from? Mexico. Okay. I'm a full full Mexican. Okay, and um. How far along in karate did you get? I, mean, I always ask that question. 
Uh, not not far. I think I probably got like the second belt, which is like brown belt or some shit like that, green belt or something. Not oh, not not too far. Yeah, I, I left the class and started fighting in the streets and shit. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, that's cool. Yeah, I uh, well, I was I was at a white belt. I left at the, like after like the third day, and I didn't even get my, my I didn't even get my suit in time. So I was just oh, like wow. going. Yeah. So it's yeah. Um. So. You sorry. So your brother is a DJ and producer, and you started rapping at the age of thirteen, right? Um. Yeah, I think I started writing, writing, rapping probably before that. But uh, thirteen mm-hmm. is probably like when I started taking it serious and like recording and stuff. Okay. And when it comes to your brother, um, you know, so he's so he's a DJ and producer, and so like during during that time, or as he was, as you as you both got both as both of you guys were coming up, um, was his name like ringing like locally, or was it um, you know ringing uh, regionally? Was he on the radio, or you know? Yeah, you know, after um, you know, once we got into high school, my brother was kind of like the DJ dude that everybody would hit for the backyard boogies and the backyard party. So anybody that was having a, a local party, my brother would be the guy DJing. Because a lot of the times, I mean, he, my brother was real like old school, so he had turntables and he knew how to scratch and stuff like that. So if people wanted a dope DJ, they would, they would holler at my brother. And then around the same time, he had started a, a hip hop group and we started putting out, you know, CDs and mixtapes. And um, they would be recording, putting them out, and I'd be in in high school, junior high, selling the mixtapes. So you know, we built a good a good name for ourselves vocally. And my brother was a uh, uh, the founder of all that. So everybody kind of you know um, gave the gave the credit to him. And you know, that's how he really built his name up in the beginning. Okay. And um, did you ever get into producing at all? I didn't. You know, a couple years ago, I had bought like a little. Um, like a little NPC for like a hundred dollars, which is yeah. giveaway. <laughs> yeah, 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 and I was just like, I, I messed with it with like you know for a, like a month or two, and I, I realized like that, that ain't my thing. I'm I'm not good with the technical side of things. Okay, um, yeah, man, yeah, cause uh, yeah, I was um, you know, I, I, I've been lurking for for a little bit, and I noticed that uh, you, well, did, well, well, did you give, did you end up giving the NPC away officially? Or? Um. Yeah. Basically, I ended up actually linking with the with the dope producer. Mm-hmm. Um. I had I was on Twitter one day and I seen this this dude that that I've been following and he was like, "Yo, I'm in need of like a new NPC to travel with." Blah blah blah. And then I was like, "Man, maybe this dude would be down to you know trade some beats for my little NPC." And, and sure enough, I reached out to dude and we were able to make that happen. And I ended up building a relationship with this dude ever since. Man, that's that's what's up, man. I, you know, um, I, yeah, I appreciate it, but you know, I, well, I mean, that's that's really uh, heartfelt. But you know, as a producer myself, I just I don't know, I just can't, <laughs> I just can't see it. Um, but yeah, so um, all right, so when you were coming up, you know, your brother, um, you know, his his name was ringing, your name was ringing. You guys built built this collective and everything like that. Your brother was doing parties, and so um, if you can, what was like the what was the local scene like? Um, you know, when you were coming up, when you were like thirteen, and you know, on from there as a teenager, um, and uh, in uh, throughout the Inland Empire and in Ontario. Um, I couldn't really speak on too much of the music scene just because I was so young. I, I didn't really know what was going on outside of like the house party scene. Mm-hmm. But um, I mean, the scenes that we were going to, like the the parties my brother would DJ, there was always MCs. There was always a freestyle session in the back of the party, and um, yeah, I'd always be the youngest dude, you know, because I would just happen to go out with my brother that was DJing, and then. I would always jump in the ciphers, you know. I'd always be there, brother, freestyling and shit. 
And then um, as we started getting older, you know, I started seeing the scene out here in the IE start to grow. You know, we're kind of shadowed by L.A. just because that that's the big city that everyone thinks of. But, right. I mean, you come a little outside of the city and you find gems like the IE. And, I mean, now the, the, the scene in the IE is booming. Like, a lot of people actually come from the city out here to try and break because there's so many opportunities out here now. And and they've seen, you know, the scene that, that we've been able to build over the years. Not not just, you know, myself, but all the people out here. Now, that's really interesting. Now, now, uh, now before I go any further, um, I, I must say that um saying that you come from the inland empire sounds kind of dope <laughs> oh really yeah i i always hear the opposite <laughs> really i mean well i mean well I, well you know well, i don't know much about it but just like from the outside looking in and just the fact that it's called the inland empire is kind of dope to me um and by the way yeah I, I i was looking like a bit more into that and i see i saw that uh like the first inception of that term came out in like 1914 in some like old newspaper so i'm sure it had some kind of weird you know colonial um associations with the connotations to it um, at least during that time um, yeah uh, you know i'm sure i'm sure it does yeah um so you know so when it comes to to the scene in general and you you know and, and you just you just talked about how you know there there are more opportunities now and people are coming there to like kind of break themselves um as artists and so um what artists out um out there um now um should people be looking out for people that that uh that you that you are close to or that you you know that you see coming up because um the only other person other than you because i've um I, you know i um i uh, i have been aware of you um the only other person is eddie baker and he has um a totally different style than yours he has like this old school um i think southern style i mean kind of like some old school three six if i had to say um and so you know with that being said uh how diverse is this new um scene throughout the ie it's crazy out here man just Mm -hmm. because it's the we don't necessarily have a sound like people think la you know you think g-funk and like dr dre type sound and people think the ie that we don't have that trademark so it's kind of like everybody just kind of does their own thing and it's kind of created a cool a very cool thing out here because everybody is original and everybody has their own style and everybody's different from one another so the shows out here are super live because it's not like you know going to a show and everybody sounds exactly the same out here everybody sounds completely different everybody looks completely different and um you know it's, it's created a dope dynamic out here mm. um are there any artists that you can think of that are coming out of the ie that people should be looking out for Oh, I mean, aside from the people that, that like the people that people probably already know, like uh, Audio Push, Audio mm-hmm. Push is from the IE, uh, Hit Boy, Hit yeah. Boy's from the IE, yeah. um, you know, people like that. Okay. Um, and, and, um, I, uh, so the early, so for you, the earliest, um, project that, uh, I found from you is from 2012, but I was curious to know, um, if you've had any other, like, solos, like, solo CDs, in which I'm assuming you did have, um, coming up, you know, um, as a teenager. Yeah, you know, I, I had a bunch of mixtapes out, um, just, you know, rapping over other people's beats, recording them, not getting them mixed and mastered, and <laughs> just, you know, distributing them in the streets in high school and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I tried, you know, when I started taking my career seriously, I tried to, you know, take all of that material down. And I didn't want people hearing, you know, getting the first impression of me being something that I released like in high school and the quality not being there and me losing that that chance of winning them over just because of some, you know, poor quality shit. So hmm. I had um prior to 2012, like I tried deleting all those projects, but um, 
yeah but yeah <laughs> i definitely i definitely did have some out there yeah yeah i mean i feel you um you know, me and my co-host, we go we go back and forth on this because um, pretty much all of his stuff, um, all through like all throughout high school up until now, you can get, and he sees this as you know just like you know showing growth, um, yeah, as an artist, and you know, in, in which I understand, and so he, so he, so his um ideology behind that is that you know, it's not necessarily good, but you know, if they you know they follow that up to like what he's doing like now or recently. Um, they can see like the growth and they can respect it and this is something um also that uh that i do want to get get into with you about your growth as an artist and um and just something that i've noticed you know listening um to a lot of your work and like you're really getting um acquainted with it um but um before we do that i want to talk a little bit about um a little bit more about ontario um and our um listening to your to your work i believe it was the free on the freeway ep i could be wrong maybe or maybe mood music and you mentioned something about repping ontario and repping it so you so you can demonstrate that ontario is more than ontario mills which is like this large shopping center from from what i've read and and things like that and I was curious to know, just like with, um, and I could just be, I could just, this is like a shot in the dark. Um, when it comes to like this new era of gentrification and, you know, just um, these, these uh, so-called, you know, neighbor, historic neighborhoods, you know, being turned over and new people coming in and just, you know, Ontario Mills for me, it, uh, I think I've read a little bit that it's a tourist attraction. So, um, you know, growing up, you know, in the nineties and like seeing the um, emergence of Ontario Mills, um, did that have any kind of, uh effect on your upbringing coming up um not not necessarily mm-hmm. but um as far as the line goes you know explaining just to explain on that um you know just like i was saying ontario gets shouted i mean the ie as a whole gets shadowed by la just because it's such a big city and um you know ontario being on the rise like a lot of the people just don't don't see anything out here other than the mall you know the 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 big mall that everybody knows like oh that's the only thing out there so that that's kind of where that line stemmed from i, w- I want to show people that you know there, there's a lot out here not not only with the um you know with the building and stuff like that but as far as the people and the community and the culture goes okay that's dope man um and and so you um your name 60 east it, and it, it comes from like from like a freeway or a highway right yeah there's um there's a few ways to get to the IE from from LA, but one of the main ways is the the 60 East Freeway. Mm-hmm. And you know when I when I was picking a name, I wanted something that represented where I'm from. And um, did the sig, you know, I growing up, I did a lot of graffiti, so I spent a lot of time on the freeway. And you know, we kind of always referred to ourselves as like the freeway cats or freeway kids or whatever. And um, yeah, so it kind of stuck, you know, like the, I had I came up with the 60 East, and I was like, yeah. The, that that really represents you know what what i want to represent okay cool and um and so and then what's interesting about you too is that you know you that you do have like this kind of deep um you know that that, that you that you deeply emerge in in uh in a graffiti culture and so um how long were you in graffiti for and um if anything, how has graffiti affected your your um, approach to music or just to your artistry um, altogether? Um, I mean, growing up, you know, out here just being involved in the hip hop scene, graffiti is a, a big part of um, a big part of growing up out here, and mm-hmm. um, just seeing the art. I mean, you know, just seeing the 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 piece of the culture that graffiti brings to to hip hop is. Um, real just real eye-opening i've always always a big fan of 
all the elements of hip hop. Like um, before I even started rhyming, I was break dancing and stuff like that. So graffiti just always came like it, it was always second nature. It was always just, you know, always there. And um, as far as affecting the music, uh, I feel like, you know, graffiti exposed me to to a whole different you know way of life and a way of art and a way of freedom and, you know, doing I mean, breaking the law, basically, just just for this art and um, kind of applying the same you know, the thing to music, just, you know, doing what you got to do to do what you love. And that's, that's this art form. Mm-hmm. Now, another thing about uh, graffiti too, is that, you know, you always have your tag, which is, you know, which is nothing more than branding. Um, and so, you know, knowing your background and, you know, you mentioned in a few interviews that uh, you do have this background, like in marketing and communications. And so I was wondering if you um, learned anything about branding um, from, you know, from, you know, tagging your name, um, in some of your in, in some of your graffiti and uh, and like applying your branding to uh, your your uh, your your music business. Oh, most definitely. Like I, I didn't I didn't realize it back then. But you know when you're when you're tagging your crew, you're basically you're basically just promoting your business and your business is your crew at, at you know at that level or whatever. And um, I, yeah, you know just as much as we would be out promoting or painting whatever you want to call it the the business you know it, it just gets flipped you know when you're talking instead of graffiti on the wall i'm passing a flyer to a person but the the object is still the same is getting to see getting someone to see that logo or that brand or whatever and um yeah you know growing up i, I still joke to this day you know i'd be out passing out flyers and I'd be like man you know a few years ago i'd be spraying on this wall but instead i'm you know putting this flyer on this car or whatever and um, I'd always tell people, too, I'd make a joke that, you know, the best event promoters are ex-taggers because they know how to, you know, get get word out and get get the flyers out there. Like, you know, just just how taggers would be able to do climbing up poles and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, when it comes to your to your music career. Um, and, and I know you just said that, um, you know, a lot of your earlier projects, you didn't exactly take it seriously. You didn't master them. You didn't uh, pre- exactly promote them, you know, the, the way that you're doing with a lot of your stuff now. But um, when was like that turning point for you when, you know, when you were just delving into music with you and your brother and the group that you guys had? And when did you um, say, you know, I want to take this music shit seriously? Like, wh- like how old were you when, um, then when that happened? The, this would be in 2010, you know, okay. like in high school, I felt like as a collective, we were taking it serious. But, you know, me, I, I was still like a freshman, sophomore. So the only thing that was on my mind was, you know, getting drunk and, and find, <laughs> finding girls to sleep with and stuff like that. Right. But, um, you know, as as the group evolved and then would eventually went into a decline and then I ended up all on my own and then ended up finding music again on my own and starting, you know, chasing the dream. It was in 2010 when uh, my dad died from cancer, and that's when I was, I basically came at a crossroads, and it was like, all right, I'm either going to, you know, get the nine to five, do whatever I got to do to, you know, to just get by, or I'm going to fucking actually chase this dream and do what I got to do to chase this dream, and, you know, I, I chose to chase this music shit, and this was at the beginning of July 2010, and by the end of the by the end of that month, I had my first solo show in Hollywood, and I, I never looked back since then. Okay, um, and all right, and so also, so 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 you go to college for communications and marketing. Uh, so what school did you go to? And then also, you know, with with a lot of people um, who do music, well, especially hip hop in particular, and when they go to college, 
they end up being promoters or, or, or something to that effect. So, um, so what, so what key things did you learn from your time in college? And did you ever become like a promoter on campus for other shows or promoting parties or anything like that, 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 that also helped you, um, you know, learn how to brand yourself, um, you know, with internet marketing and things of, of that nature? I didn't get too far into school. You know, mm-hmm. I had signed up for, for community college just because it, it, it seemed like the thing to do. And I started taking uh, marketing classes just so I could learn how to market myself as an artist. So the, the goal was always the same. It was always music. But the, the school was just, you know, to try and get me further into it. And, um, yeah, you know, as I started telling people at, at school that I was a musician and I started getting bigger in the local scene, people from the campus actually started catching wind of me. And, you know, the, the paper ended up, like, writing a bunch of articles on me. And then whenever the school would have uh, music events and festivals, they'd always hit me up to perform and stuff like that. So it definitely um, it definitely helped me. But I feel at, at that point in, you know, just in how I was coming up, I wasn't – I didn't even apply myself. Like, I didn't even realize there was a, a radio station on campus that I could have been getting at the whole time or just different avenues I could have used. But, you know, one of my partners – uh, at the same time was actually going to a university. He was going to Cal State Northridge. And, you know, we ended up starting a hip hop club at the at the school, which is still going on to this day. And, you know, I would go speak to students and we would go perform for their campus and stuff like that. Mm. Uh, that, that that's real. That's really interesting. So, um, by the way, um, is, is this Timothy Ron by any chance? Yeah. Okay, um, and because I wanted to ask you a question about Timothy Ron, like uh, um, a bit later, but I can ask it now. Um, so, you and Timothy Ron founded First Dirt, right? Your uh, your record label. Um, First Dirt was founded by Tim uh, mm-hmm. initially in Sacramento, and I ended up coming on board a few years later. Okay, and you know, and you described him in several interviews, you know, as your business partner. Um, and you, you talk, you seem to talk about him, or you mention him quite a bit throughout a lot of the interviews that that I've listened to um, with you in it. And I was curious to know uh, what impact has Tim has Tim had on your career and and your life overall. Tim, um, Tim is like a big brother to me, man. Like mm-hmm. Tim saw Tim was really one of the first people to give me an opportunity, and he kind of seen it seen it in me before I seen it in myself. And he was kind of the one that that made me realize that, you know, I have to be more than an artist, that I have to, you know, cover all the business angles and I got to be able to throw my own shows and run a team and be a leader and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I always give that credit to that dude, man. Like I say, he's my big brother. And on top of the music stuff, he he showed me a lot of things about being a man. Like like I said, you know, um, I lost my father like at 20. And, um, you know, that's kind of the age when, you know, you start becoming like an actual man. And, and I never learned stuff like he, I, he, my pops never taught me like how to buy a house or how to do taxes or how to do, you know, just, just everyday man shit. And then, um, spending all this time I did with my boy, Tim, he, he was already uh, a father, you know, he had a kid before I did. And, um, he, he, just his perspective on, on the hustle and work and, and being a man, like he really rubbed off on me a lot. And, um, yeah, I definitely got a lot, a lot of tips from that dude. Mm-hmm. Now, now, yeah, cool. Now, um, in your, I think it was the hip hop, yeah, the hip hop digital exposure podcast from I believe like twenty twenty fifteen. Um, you had an interesting conversation with with the host about um, merchandising and um, and just you know promotion overall. And 
when it comes to and you mentioned like people like Tech Nine and and his approach to merchandising and you know if you think about the, these like these super these super duper like indie artists like the Tech Nines of the world they always have like these silent and I mean, Timothy Ryan I know he has his own career too so he's not exactly silent but a lot of these people they have like, these silent business partners that do like a lot of things for them and like all the backbone and foundation to their business infrastructure. And when it comes to, um, you know, your particular emphasis on merchandising um, and, and your approach to it, and you said that merchandising accounts for, I believe, almost half of the revenue that you that you that you receive um, in your business. And so I was wondering from, you know, from then, which is 2015 until now, 2017, um, how has this new era of streaming um, uh, impacted or affected um, your approach to merchandising or just or just the uh, the the amount of money that you receive from music and merchandising overall? I feel like the streaming hasn't necessarily affected um, the merchandise as far as like the clothing and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. I mean, it's definitely affected the CD sales and record sales and stuff like that. And um, I, I feel it's it's benefited in a good way and it's had a negative effect also. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I get pandora and spotify checks now every month uh you know though that's a that's a revenue stream that i didn't have before so just just the fact that you know i'm getting extra money is a good thing you know you know whether or not you like the amount that you're getting per song and stuff like that that that's a whole another conversation and you know why people like taylor swift took her shit down because you know they they feel like they're the artists aren't getting enough but you know at the end of the day you know that's just another avenue for us to make money and um yeah, I just I just feel like the approach is different now. You know, instead of um, pushing people to buy your physical CD now or going to you know the store to buy your CD now, you know you're aiming them towards iTunes or towards Apple Music or whatever, and you know encouraging them to buy your music there. And if not, you're if you know people aren't even buying music no more. So you know a lot of the times it's instead of selling a record, I'm just releasing a record on Spotify, and I want people to go not even buy it, just to go stream it on Spotify, so I can receive that Spotify check at the end of the month. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it, it varies with every uh, individual artist and situation. You know, it depends depends what your goals are. If your goal is to make money, you know, maybe you don't want to put it on Spotify and you just want to make, you know, you just want to sell physicals. Or if you just want streaming money, then, you know, you won't even make a physical CD anymore and you'll just have everybody get it from, you know, Pandora or Spotify. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, so so in 2017, um, is merchandising still the 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 biggest element of your of your business? Yeah, I mean, between merch and shows, yeah, I, I would say even though, but you know, shows are are so often, and you know, I can I can be selling a, a t-shirt right now. You know, I'll just get I'll get an email saying so and so ordered this from your thing, your your website. You know, while I'm on the phone or while I'm you know doing anything else, so. The especially now that I have an online store, everything is kind of automatic. So the the clothing and stuff like that just is is always constantly you know making money. Or if it's not making money, the door's open for it to make money. And all I got to do is you know tell people to order from here, or order from there. And you know the unlike the music, uh, the the clothing and merchandise is timeless and stuff like that. You know, mm-hmm. I mean the, the I say the music is timeless too. But as far as like. You know, having something tangible versus something you can just stream. Mm-hmm. You know, people people still want that 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 thing that they can hold and see and show and take a picture of. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and, you know, also also in that same interview, um, you, you mentioned, at least during that time, um, some of the merchandise that you had out. And you talked about, you know, having pens and notepads with, like, your logo on it, which, you know, I think is a dope idea because, you know, you, you, I, I think I've seen it every so often, but you just don't see I don't think you see it enough. Right. Especially if you have, um, you know, assuming that if you're like kind of like an artist artist, then a lot of, you know, people who happen to rap or do music, you know, they, they may want to buy that notepad, um, you know, while they're writing or, or like or, the, or your approach to, you know, having a lot of college students and, you know, buying that notepad and, you know, they're, they're taking their, their lecture notes in, in it. And, you know, that's that logo is getting, you know, displayed to, you know, hundreds of people, you know, every day and throughout all their classes, which is a really dope idea, but then at the same time, you know, I can imagine that, you know, and I've never really ventured into merchandising because, I mean, it does seem like really tedious, but also a necessary thing, but I haven't gotten to that level yet. But um, for you, like, what are some of the difficulties um, with merchandising when it comes to um, just, you know, just demand and then making fans, you know, the same fans who bought that notepad and pen want to buy more things from you or more different um, items from you? Yeah, I mean, um, you you gotta have. It's just like um, it's just like releasing music. You know, you gotta constantly you gotta constantly keep it coming. You know, people get tired of of the same stuff, and especially the the people that have been rocking with you. Like, if they already have all the shirts you have released, you know, you gotta keep releasing new stuff to keep them wanting to get the new stuff and to keep them entertained and stuff like that. And um, I, I like to diversify too. Um, depending on what project I'm releasing or what I'm focusing on, I like to to focus the merchandising around that. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I have like uh, on this next record I got coming out, I got like a weed song coming out. So I think like when I release the video or when I release the, the, um, the promotion behind that song in particular, like I'm going to release maybe some weed related merchandise, maybe some lighters or some rolling papers, like a weed shirt or something. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. I, I like, you know, I, I like just getting creative with, with, with everything I do. Right. Well, I mean, well, I, well, I would imagine that it's a bit easier for you to do because you know you have this background in graffiti, but you know if you're like a like a straight like a straight you know just straight up rapper you know you just perform you rap you know you don't you don't do anything else but like just rap and perform you know I I would imagine that you know I, I, and I know like you know having a team, um you know helps this out like a lot but at the same time you know just coming up with different ideas you know like you know what like what other kind of thing can I put on this shirt or something like that. And although, you know, you have it down to a science that, you know, you base it around, like, the different projects that you have out. Um, but was there ever a time, like, you know, when you just said, well, shit, you know, like, what else can I, like, do? Like, what, what other kind of new thing can I put out? Or it, or do you just see it as, like, you know, just endless? You can just put your logo on any kind of object. Yeah, I mean, every day, you know, I, I have that conversation with myself of, like, what can I do to, to, to stay fresh or stay relevant or whatever? But um, mm-hmm. I, I just, like, you know, I let it flow, man. Um, if it feels natural, if it if it if it doesn't look like I'm pushing something or I'm trying to force something, then I usually let it rock. You know, I'll definitely ask people what they think and um, mm-hmm. get get opinions and stuff like that. But, mm-hmm. but I I usually just you know go go with what I feels feels cool. Mm-hmm. Now, do you still uh, uh, deliver um, your some of your merchandise personally anymore? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, sometimes, like I said, I'll, I'll take the 60 into the city and I'll, I'll be coming back from the city and like I'll hop on Snapchat or something and be like, yo, if anybody lives off of this freeway and, and wants a T-shirt, if I'm passing by, like I'll stop by and make that sale. 
I feel like I, I'm not too big for that. And, I mean, I feel like I see, you know, artists bigger than me, you know, even even doing stuff like that, too. So, you know, to, to me, it's, you know, that that engagement with the fans is, is number one. Hmm. Yeah. And um. well, again, you know, I got that from the, from the hip hop digital exposure. That was like a really interesting interview that you had with that dude. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, yeah, because when you guys were talking about that, um, the first thing that came to my mind was J. Cole. Um, I think when he came out with Forest Hill, I think it was Forest Hill's. Forest Hills Drive. When, yeah, uh, yeah. He just rolled up on that, like, to that girl and said, "You want to listen to my CD real quick?" And that was, I thought that shit was so genius. Yeah, Logic recently did did a fan tour like that. Also, he he rolled up to a bunch of his fans' houses and let them hear his album while he kicked it in their crib with him. Damn. Yeah. See, I didn't know that. I mean, it's it's just so dope. But you know, so when it comes to like to this music, this ever changing music business, and I just feel like it's just it's, it's ch- it changes almost every day. Um, how do you think the indie music business has changed with you know streaming and the complexity of social media? Um, do you think it's harder to to get on? Do you or do you think it's more easier to get on now? Uh, I feel like it's a double edged sword. I feel like back in the day when they had the labels, um, that was basically the gatekeep- gatekeepers and the filtering system for all the bullshit and whack rappers and wannabe rappers that there is out there. They were kind of like. All right, if they're if we're not promoting them, then then you know you ain't never gonna hear of them. But now I feel with like social media, anybody can just hop on and, and you know promote their stuff. But at the same time, there's not that filtering system anymore. So you're getting people from from the bottom level to the top level all on Facebook promoting the shit the same way to the same people. So it's kind of you know it it has its pluses and its has it has its negatives. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, you know, like I, I have a, I have, I think I have a pretty strong opinion about this, in, in that, um, you know, I, you know, so I, I mean, I, and I think it's a trade off too. So I mean, I, I can, I get it. You always gotta have that balance. So, I, so I think as you know, as being able to do music has become you know easier. You don't have to do, you don't have to use an NPC anymore. Um, you know, you have all these different dog programs and recording programs, so you can just record in your home and record a podcast like we're doing right now. But at the same time, the complexity of social media and the, and the fact that everyone is on it makes it harder for you to get noticed. No matter, you know, I think no matter what you do, unless you do have a team behind you. And, and so, you know, even so, you know, you have these a lot of rappers who are independent and they talk about, you know, you know, you just got, you know, you just got to do this. You just got to promote yourself. And although that's true, I believe it's, it's still a bit more harder and, and it, there's a bit more to it because even like some of those rappers who, you know, who achieve a certain kind of stardom or who end up getting on another level, they have either someone behind them or some kind of team or they know someone who knows someone that that enables them to get to, to you know to get to that level. And then even with like these blogs, you know, like the two dope boys of the world and you know, and they've gone on to become like, you know, these in, in so many words to me, like these gatekeepers of blogs. And so a lot of the people who end up on like a lot of these large blogs you know, they have a connection to them or something like that, or they, you know, a label or something like that. So, I just really think that it's more complex, and I wonder if you know if we ever if we ever did go back to that time where you just like submit a demo to to these gatekeepers who were labels. You know, um, would it be a bit different? Um. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the the, the industry is relationship based anyway. Like a, a mm. lot of the things I've been able to do have just been because of the people I know. A lot of the people that I know that that got on or that are on, same thing. It's just people they know. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I just feel that that's kind of like the business. That's very that's that's very true. 
Um, so when it comes to you um, as an indie artist and, you know, um, doing everything that you're doing now, uh, what is a day in the life for you when, you know, when you're not touring and you're just, you know, um, you know, on the West Coast, you know, you don't really have any kind of, you know, you don't have any particular engagements for that day. What is a normal day for 60 East? Uh, depending on what project I'm working on, you know, I'll, I'll just I'll be in the office um, either working on some aspect of the music. If, if I'm not writing mm-hmm. to a to a track or whatever, I'm doing getting the artwork done or I'm booking a show or throwing a show or working on the next tour or doing all of the above throughout throughout hours of the day. It just I mean, really, um, I, really right now I'm running my whole team. I am my own team. You know, there, there are certain uh, avenues that I outsource to, to people as far as like I have an artwork guy and I have a videographer. But other than that, everything else you know i'm I'm doing on my own so if you know maybe i'm looking for beats or i'm trying to reach out to sponsors or producers or you know whatever it may be usually it's i'm reaching out to somebody looking for something <laughs> <laughs> that's cool and then you know and so you know um you know i i know you're a father now you have a family and everything like that um so you know you, you know, you, you mentioned earlier um, in in uh, in this interview that you know you had you went to like that you were at like a crossroads. You know, you get a, either a nine to five or you keep doing this music. And so, you know how music can you know just being in this business is very very uh, it can be re- very random at times. So like right now, you're you know you do three interviews um, today. You know you're up you know all hours of the morning, and then the next day you may not really have anything. So you know you can go to bed at a decent you know a decent time. And so sometimes do you kind of hate that inconsistency of like being out there on your own and you know running your own business yeah man i I hate it and i feel that's like one of the curses of being an entrepreneur but um you know i I would love to have i mean as much as i say i would love to have a set schedule you know even back when i had a nine to five i hated having a set schedule so it's like now sometimes like my schedule is so open i get mad that i don't have anything to do but it's just because there's so much to do that i don't feel like doing any of it Mm mm-hmm but um, I mean, I, I feel that that's the responsibility of being an entrepreneur and being your own boss is being able to get work done and, you know, be able to separate, you know, family time and work time and priorities from luxuries and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Now, so are, and, and you just said that you don't have anyone really on your team other than yourself and you outsource um, some of the things that you need. And so. Um, as an entrepreneur, what do you outsource? Well, if you don't mind me asking, I don't know if that's like a secret or anything. No, well, I mean, uh, aside from the things that I just said, um, you know, I, if there's anything that I can really outsource for, then then I will if I trust the person enough. Um, for certain things like booking, managing, and stuff like that, it's been very hard for me to, you know, delegate that to someone else just because, like, I. I've been so hands-on with with being my own manager for for a long time. It, it gets hard for me to you know let anybody else be in control of that. You know, I have people like um that that assist me with like scheduling and stuff like with with situations like this. Mm-hmm. But um, but but other than that, you know, it, it gets hard for me to trust anybody with you know my brand and my and my stuff just because, like I said, I've been so hands-on for it. I don't want to have somebody else do something and me be misrepresented because you know they they didn't do what i wanted to do or it didn't come out the way that i wanted it to and you know again that that's a gift and a curse but um you know the day that i find somebody that i trust and that i trust enough with a brand and that that knows what i want to represent enough 
to, to you know, let them do what they want to do with it, then, you know, then I'll, till then, you know, I'll have to do it myself. Hmm. No, well, I, well, I will say, well, some of the people that you have outsourcing, they're they're doing a good job with the organizing and scheduling and everything like that. If I do say it so myself, um, yeah. And um, so, so another thing too that I've noticed with you is that you know you're uh, you you've also been doing like you know business panels, like music business panels, and I think you did like a panel with ASCAP, I think, a while ago. And I was curious to know, like you know. I mean, it seems like such a closed circuit. And although, you know, you, I mean, and you, you said probably the truest thing and probably the same answer you're going to give me about, you know, having these connections and these relationships. But I'm just curious to know, how how did you end up, um, you know, getting on some of these panels that, that you have been on in the past? Um, I mean, prior to, um, to, you know, getting into the industry and stuff like that, I was completely like oblivious to music conferences and and that there was even, you know, like a, a business side of the music industry that gathered gathered together and stuff like that. I always thought it was just like a bunch of dudes sitting in studios trying to make shit happen. But, um, <laughs> you know, luckily, like when I was younger, like fresh out of high school, I had landed an internship at a record label. And, um, you know, the owner of the record label put me on to the business side of things. You know, he, he basically schooled me on being independent. And um, he, this is in 2010, and this guy was a, a visionary. You know, he he saw the industry was going independent um, early on, so he had started like an independent marketing company for independent artists that didn't want to get involved with labels. So a lot of, you know, artists that used to be on labels ended up going to this guy's company, and um, you know, just using using his resources and stuff like that. So working for him, I was able to build relationships and most of all, I was able to build with him and he was already, you know, speaking at all these conferences and stuff like that. So as I became his assistant, I started, you know, opening doors for me to get into these conferences and stuff. And um, he eventually started his own music conference, which uh, is the Indie Entertainment Summit, which is in LA every year. Mm. And, um, you know, just building with him, I got to be involved with that every year. And that opened doors for me to get into other conferences. And, um, you know, basically it's it's a circuit. And uh, once once you're in the circuit, you know, you're you're in and um, your name starts revolving around whenever, you know, people are looking for speakers for their upcoming thing. You know, there's there's a, a list of people that, that they know that speak at these festivals or at these conferences. And, you know, my, my name just happened to start jumping in there. Hmm. Now, um, in what ways has you know getting on this conference, this music conference circuit, um, and what in what ways ha- has it helped your brand and your business overall musically? Um, it helps a lot, you know, building with other artists. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of artists that are in the crowd a lot of the times, you know, have been able to keep up with me, and they, they keep up with everything I got going on, and they'll hit me up whenever they need advice or or help or anything like that. And then um, it's also open doors for me with the people that I speak on these panels. You know, a lot of the time they're business professionals or bigger artists or artists that are just like me on the same level, whatever. And um, yeah, I mean, just being, being able to open those relationships and stuff like that. Hmm. Now, um, now, when it comes to you, now, you know, sticking on the subject of business and going back to your podcast interview that you had with um, Omega, and, you know, throughout a lot of your interviews and everything, you stress the importance of festivals um, and the importance of the pay of paid dues and um, and what it meant to your career. And when and when Merce gave you that call and everything like that. And 
I recall you saying that, you know, one day, since you are interested in, in like the business side of music and marketing and everything like that, that you see yourself getting into management one day. But do you also see yourself, you know, get, uh, getting into um, having your own festival one day the same way that MERS, that MERS did or, or has? Hell yeah. That, that's yeah. actually one of, my, one of my long-term goals or even short-term goals because I recently started working with the local venue and, um, you know, I've been able to start throwing shows there. And I feel that, that that's opening the doors for me to start throwing bigger events, just be, becoming more known as a promoter and stuff like that. But I've always, you know, loved festivals like that. I, I'm definitely um, a concert junkie. And, you know, since I was a kid, that's the festivals are the things that I live for. You know, some people like going to ball games or the bar. Like my, my thing has always been concerts. Mm-hmm. And um, yes, you know, for a long time I've been planning on throwing my own show, but you know, the budget-wise and stuff like that, it's been hard to make it happen. But you know, the the opportunity as soon as it knocks on my door, you know, I, I'm gonna jump on it. And you know, I already have imaginary lineups that I want to do and you know, shows, <laughs> show ideas that I have with you know, artists already like that I want and stuff like that. So it, it's just a matter of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what's up because, um, you know, I I agree with you that, you know, we need more festivals um, because, you know, like when we I guess doing like I guess it was a golden age of like blogging and like the whole blogosphere when it came to hip hop and everything like that. You know, during the time when it was a bit it seemed a bit more easier to, you know, to get on to certain to certain blogs. You also had the rise of, you know, Rock the Bells and paid dues and all these kinds of festivals that came up that also gave a lot of artists who were on these blogs, you know, to, you know, make that transition onto that festival circuit and to blow up the way they have, like, you know, like the black hippies of the world and, um, and, and, and stuff like that. Uh, and also you seem a bit interested, interested in the podcasting business too, since you do have this podcast and, uh, so how has like you know podcasting helped you connect with different people and what do you think of the podcasting business so far like do you think it's it's totally different from the music business in in the in the festival circuit and stuff like that yeah i mean i I started doing a lot of interviews and then um you know one of one of the hosts that i was doing an interview with gave me the idea he was like yo you'd be dope you know to host your own show so i sat on that idea and you know I, i came up with a concept and um my first couple of episodes, you know, I, I was just kind of freestyling, didn't didn't really know what I wanted to go with it. And then I kind of found my niche in in the touring circuit and talking about touring conversations and stuff like that. So, um, you know, since I've been able to find, you know, find what I want to do with it and start targeting guests that, that fit that criteria, you know, it's been able to, you know, connect me with these people that are also road warriors. You know, I consider myself, you know, a road warrior, a touring musician and being able to learn from these other people that have been doing it longer than me. And, um, you know, the people that tour for months at a time and, you know, mm-hmm. people that are gone most of the year, I, I just like learning how they've been able to do it and, you know, how, how they've been able to be successful doing it. And I want, I want to apply that to my career and also help up and coming artists, you know, um, that listen to the podcast, you know, save some troubles that I had, you know, cause I, I never had a, anybody telling me how to tour and what to do and how to do this and how to save money. So I wanted to create that for up and coming artists, you know, so they can listen to it and be like, okay, I'm going to do this and apply it to, you know, next time they book their tour and hopefully save them some money, save them a headache, you know, just being able to listen to the things that we've gone through on the road. Hmm. Now, speaking of tours, uh, what is your craziest tour story? Ah, oh, man. <laughs> um, shit, I mean, there, there's a lot, man. I, 
fun ones, crazy ones, dirty ones. Um, okay, well, yeah, uh, just give us a crazy one. <laughs> let's let's, let's, let's uh, steer away from from the dirty ones, you know. Uh, uh shit. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, on this, uh, like two tours ago, I was in the Czech Republic, and then um, my my homeboy Afro was headlining a festival that we were both performing on. So I got to like I went back there and we were all chilling and you know they locked down the um the backstage and they only wanted like the 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 headlining artist which was only like a, a handful of artists and um so we were all back there and they ended up shutting down the backstage and you know it was just all American all the uh, all American artists and we're in we're in the middle of Europe and um it's like two in the morning no it's more like four in the morning. And uh, Onyx is on stage closing out the show, and you know I just I look around, and then I, you know I'm on stage standing between Redman, EPMD, and Planet Asia, and it's just all us American artists on stage rocking out in, <laughs> in front of like five thousand European fans at four in the morning, you know, going crazy. And uh, we actually ended up missing our train that morning, but um, it was it was well worth it, man, just being able to be, you know, on the stage with all those legendary artists and. Representing um, American hip hop in front of you know fucking five thousand Europeans in the middle of the Czech Republic. Wow, yeah, <laughs> I can only I can only imagine something like that, man. Um, and, and you know, uh, speaking of like you know these these uh you know these these larger artists, um, I was I was curious to know, um, when you did pay dues, did you ever get a chance like to actually talk to Mers? Not the day, not the day of. I mean, you know, Merz is running around busy. I mean, I think he performed also. So, you know, and then we're, we had to do, you know, we perform and then we got the VIP meeting greets and then, you know, we got to go do press for an hour and shoot a video. And, you know, everybody's, you know, schedule is crazy that day. But, um, I mean, just being backstage, you know, we were, our, our trailer was right next, you know, we were in between like Hobson and like mob deep or something like that mm-hmm. and just the amount of people that are backstage you know I, I got to meet so many people um you know kendrick macklemore uh just a, a lot of the artists that were back there just walking around so it was cool like you know just get to chop up chop it up with them mm-hmm. yeah and, and I, I recall you saying that i'm not sure if it was at that festival or not i don't, I don't think he was there but i recall you, you mentioning something on twitter something on twitter saying that uh that you recall, like Logic giving you um, his CD, like back in the day before he became you no know, Logic. Yeah, that you know, I, I came across Logic at um, South by Southwest. He he was still coming up. This was for maybe like his first or second mixtape. Mm-hmm. And um, I've actually had that experience with a couple artists. You know, I actually met John Connor at South by Southwest too in like 2012. Same thing. He he handed me the the mixtape he did over jay-z beats hmm. and you know i started following him and you know a year and a half later you get signed to dr dre it's you know it's crazy but but i love seeing that hmm. and uh you know just like you know from and you know um i want to i want to get like more into your music out prior after this final question um because i'm sure you're tired after you know three interviews um you know, just like looking back on, you know, like the struggles that you've gone through and, you know, just looking back on them and, you know, just go, going back again to Twitter and you, you mentioned something about, you know, sitting like a, a few like tables down from like Big Sean and, and, you know, trying to figure out if he was with like, you know, Janae uh, and stuff like that. And so, like, you know, during those moments, do you ever just like, you know, just have like flashbacks or, you, or in your mind, you're just like, God damn, like, you know, I can't I've come so far. 
Oh, yeah, most definitely, man. But, uh, I mean, being in L.A., you know, we kind of run into people like that all the time, you know, random situations. But, um, mm-hmm. I mean, a, a situation like that, you know, it was like a nice restaurant and stuff. So, yeah, I was definitely like, you know, just, just blessed to be in the same building and I mean, yeah. I mean, it seems like you, yeah, you, you, you've been rubbing a lot of shoulders with a lot of people, you know, before they, they've come up, and you know, just you know, during they come up and after it. Um, and also, too, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about. I was really interested in uh, your um, the video that you have up on YouTube about your your European tour, which I the, the name of it escapes me. But you know, you have like the astronaut suit on and everything like that. Yeah, yeah, the the, the hip hoppers guide of the galaxy. Yeah, like I, I must say that like that that shit is genius, and <laughs> no, you know, just knowing like your marketing background, like you just just your interest in marketing and how you you, you sit around and come up with ideas. Like I just want to know the background to that to that music video. I mean, to the music video to to that to that promo video. Um, I man, I kind of had seen like um, artists kind of doing like theme tours. Mm-hmm kind of you know and then i kind of i was like you know what i want to do something but i want to go all out with it so i had actually got the idea from um the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy with will smith yeah um i don't know i don't know why but like you know i just woke up one morning and i was like yo that would be a dope concept and you know i pitched it to my graphic designer and and the booking agent and they were like yo you know let's make it happen so i ended up buying like the spacesuit and then you know we came up with the idea of um doing a launch video and then a, a recap video when we get back mm-hmm. and then the whole time you know the whole time we were on the tour every show that we would do my dj we had like a space intro and then i would come out in the spacesuit and perform in the spacesuit and stuff like that and then i would have people sign the spacesuit and um you know when we got back to the states we released the recap video and uh it, it was just a real fun concept you know we came up with and you know the the fans everybody enjoyed it you know it was um, just something real different um, all the marketing too, like all, all the stickers and stuff like that, were were all you know space involved. It, it was it was all everything involved with that tour had to do with that same concept. Hmm. Now, um, so now where's the spacesuit and where the fuck do you get a spacesuit from? <laughs> I, yeah, I have the spacesuit here. Um, I'm trying to find a way how to hang it up, but you know I, I have over like a hundred signatures on there. Um, artists that I performed with, uh, Planet Asia signed it. Devin the Dude signed it. Some of the other artists I got to rock with on this tour, a lot, all the fans that, that came to the show, you know, I had them come up and sign it. Um, yeah, so I, I just want to, you know, hang it up and save it for memorabilia. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, I got the space suit, like, a, at a like at a Halloween costume store. Oh, you know, I never thought about just getting, getting one at a, yeah, at a Halloween it, it costume It was a no-NASA no space suit and shit. <laughs> Okay, I, 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 honestly, I thought you were going to say no. So we went to NASA and we got this, and we, cut, we picked up like two moon rocks on the way, or something. All right, well, all right, well, that, that makes a lot of sense. That though. <laughs> <laughs> all right, now, um, yeah. So now I want to I, I want to delve a bit a bit deeper in, into your music, and you know, just like your your trajectory, and just like kind of seeing this growth. Um, you know, the, 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 this growth from you as an artist, and I want to start with. Um, your documentary mixtape from 2012. Cool. Um, and you know, I think uh, I only found. I think it's only on Dad Piff. It's now. It's now on your Bandcamp. Um, and just going back from like the little blurb that you had for your mood music uh, mixtape, which is on Bandcamp, you talk about. 
I think it's I think it's more music. Um, you you talk about you know things that that were going on in your life and you know in ten thousand hours and stuff like that. And so I just um. I just want you to explain to the listeners, you know, certain things that you were going through uh, during this period throughout the documentary mixtape. Man, um, the documentary, 2012. I, I wrote the documentary. Um, I had just got back from my first nationwide tour, mm-hmm. and um, I sold everything I had to to be able to go on that tour. It was a month long tour, and um, you know, I didn't I didn't have a job or nothing prior to the going on that tour. I was robbing people like for two years. Like all I did was was rob people. I, I didn't have a job. I, I wasn't doing nothing but just that. And um, you know, so I, I was doing that, and that's what funded you know my tour. And after the thirty days of being gone, you know, I get back home. You know, we we fly into LAX, and I literally have zero dollars in my pocket. And you know, I, I landing in landing at the fucking airport, I was like. You know, people were hitting me up online like, dude, you just got back from tour, like, you know, bigging it up, like everything's all all gravy and stuff. But I landed literally with no money in my pocket, no money at home, no job, no nothing. So I'm landing like, yeah, we just did this month long tour and made a bunch of fans, but I literally have not one dollar to my name. So um, that month, you know, I was really just really like in in a depression, man. Like, I, I just didn't know what the fuck, what was going to happen with the music, what was going to happen with me. Like, I, I just didn't know what was going on. So for a month, I was just, you know, just in a dark place. And that's where that where the documentary came from. And, um, mm. you know, luckily after that month, I ended up, you know, landing a gig uh, working for working for a friend of mine. And, uh, you know, I have had that job since 2012 up until now. And, um, you know, so I, it was, you know, a real it was like the bottom of the hill, but right before I was able to find the next opportunity that was going to carry me up until now. So, you know, it was, it was kind of a blessing in disguise. Mm. Now, you know, something about um, like this. So like the way you described it and like in the way that I perceived it is the same way that that that, that you described it just now. And I think and, and what you allude to what you allude to in a lot of your blurs when you explain um, a lot of your projects on your Bandcamp page and. I kind of I call it I call it like the the gray area for like a lot of artists because you're like you're you're like in the, you're in this in between stage where you're getting shows you're getting exposure you're getting this kind of you know recognition this this kind of recognition that artists want and that artists need in in order to keep going but the money isn't showing up so it's like this weird this weird space where you just, you know you just don't know if you're coming or if you're going if you're doing something right if you're doing something wrong because you see this recognition but the money isn't showing up and you know we I, I think that we tend to be wider in our heads that the recognition from like doing shows and doing this and doing that um you know the money just comes behind it but it just it does it just doesn't do it all the time and so i've seen a lot of my a lot of my friends who have been like in that in that position some of them have crumbled a lot of them more of them have crumbled and then a lot of them you know they made it over that hump but it, i think that's one of the hardest things to get over you know i sometimes think that it's easier just to like to keep being like an artist and having it as a hobby than getting into that gray area that you describe and trying to figure out, you know, if you're coming or if you're going and trying to get over that hump once you realize that you that you got to get over, get over that, like that one last hill or two hills before you can start, you know, making this more lucrative. Yeah, you know, I, I completely agree. And, um, you know, I'm forever grateful that that I had, you know, the 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 guts or, or whatever you want to call it to keep going because you know a few a few months later after that 
that long that month long depression you know i got on the biggest festival of my career and um I mean, you know, after that, you know, everything, you know, that that was kind of opening the doors to another level. And, you know, if I had called it quits, you know, once I got back from that tour and I was in that month long, you know, depression, mm-hmm. I, I probably wouldn't be talking to you today. Yeah, man. Um, and so the highlight that I, w- I did want to talk about from the, from the documentary mixtape is um, Father, Father Like Son. And I looked at um at, at the music video, which I think is a it's a dope concept, especially toward the end. And you know the um like the song is about abortion, right? Yeah. Um and you know obviously right, it, it's a very divisive issue. And of course, you had certain feelings about it based on the song. Um, but the ending, I think you know you know I, I was I was looking at the video um at, on your Vimeo page, and you know I'm looking at it, I'm looking at it, and then like you know. The ending kind of gets me, and then you know, actually, it took me a while to really fully understand the ending. Um, you know, uh, I think maybe some hours after once, once I got deeper into your stuff. Um, and so, so for for you guys, you should, I mean, it's, it's it's an interesting video for you guys, um, who uh, the guys who are listening right now. So the ending is you. I'm not sure if you're on a train at this point or what, but you're sitting down and you have um, a copy of the Metro, like this newspaper, and. The, you look at the front of it, you know, after you get done rapping and you and you have your piece and the front says, it's, I think it says like freak or something like that. And so I would imagine that that's kind of like how you're feeling right now, like during that point. But then what's even more powerful because of the father like son, you know, title, you flip it over and it, and then it mentions that, you know, you don't have to be a doctor to to stop cancer or something like that. And then once I got deeper into your music, I realized that it's like kind of I'm assuming it's an allusion to your father. Um, am I overthinking this? Um, kind of, but um, <laughs> yeah, it, 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 I mean, it, now that you say it, though, it, it does plug away. But um, I think I, on the back of the magazine, there's also a picture of a baby. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, all, all that all that kind of tied in together. Okay. Um, and you know th- this is something that uh, that I-, I have noticed with like you know your first few projects um, is like this this notion of death kind of being like a, a re- one like one of the primary elements of a lot of your projects. Um, you know you talk about the abortion, uh, you talk about your father, and you talk about like a, you know a lot of your friends. I'm thinking I'm thinking I'm thinking, of, thinking about Andy Song from um, the e- the EP project that you did with Omega, and how death c- tends to come up. Um, all throughout um, a lot of your music throughout but you know you're not like you're, you're not self-deprecating about it you know you, you tend to talk about it you're really open about it and then it seems like you just kind of you know you you tend to embody these things and so when it comes to these people who have you know who have gone and who you know who aren't here you tend to 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 mention something of them like looking over you as you know as you go on your path throughout your career and stuff like that so um so as you're writing um do you feel that you know something comes over you in certain in certain times where you feel as though some of these people who you do mention in your songs they 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 tend to come over you and they help you write some of your lyrics yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, one of my best friends, he he's actually the one that that taught me how to rap, taught me how to write, and was mm-hmm. my biggest music inspiration. You know, he died in in two thousand six, and um, and you know, to this day, I feel like you know he he's he's there. He, he's been there. You know, helping me 
um, develop everything. You know, when, when I was young and, you know, even my brother was like, yo, don't let this dude rap. He don't know how to rap yet, blah, blah, blah. He was always the one like, yo, he's going to get there, though. Like, don't you hear him? He's developing. He's getting better. And he, he always wanted to see me get better and always encouraged me to keep doing it. And, um, you know, I, I feel to this day, you know, he, he's always been there giving a helping hand. Mm-hmm. And and also you know uh, you know uh, going into into your 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 mood music mixtape and you mentioned John Connor right and it's kind of um, it's kind of uh, you know you paying homage to different artists you know that that you do uh, like and that you do kind of look up to the same way that John Connor has with like with, with his series um, up to that point his his, his mixtape series and so uh, the way I will label you is that you know you tend to be a, I, I call you like I call like people like you like confessional rappers whereas you know you really wear your heart on your sleeve and although a lot of my friends you know when I, I say this they say well every rapper is confessional but I don't think every rapper is confessional like the way like you know how you are because every song is really about you um you know not in a self-deprecating not in a self-absorbed way but you're just kind of like telling your story and you don't really you know get you don't really get involved in like going like going to the club or you know doing this or doing that per se it's really just all about you and different um, you know thoughts that you do have about your life and your outlook on your life up to that point and you know with people like John Connor um, you know you've uh, you've uh, you've collaborated with people like Blue um, you do the mood music mixtape which is like you know Joe Button you do the documentary which is game which I think are both are all these kind of introspective confessional sort of rappers and so um, you talked about John Connor a little bit. So how have how has you know Joe Button, Blue, um, and Game? How, what effect have, have they had on you and your approach to rapping? Um, I, I feel all three of them are are very different, but mm-hmm. you know they definitely share some similarities. Like you said, you know the, they're all very very confessional artists. Uh, I feel Blue is a little more lyrical with it, and that that's kind of how I like to be. I, I like. You know, I'm a lyricist at heart, but I also like storytelling and giving people that. But, you know, I definitely like to apply, you know, Blue's uh, approach to it, you know, being being a lyricist about it. Um, Joe Budden, dude, no one wears their, their heart on their sleeve like Joe Budden. <laughs> yeah. that That's one thing that, that, that I got from him, you know, just um, being able to open yourself up, being able to cut, cut through the layers of your skin and show people, you know, what, what's really inside. Um, no, no artist to me has been able to do that like he has, and um, he's definitely a, a big influence uh, on my writing and songwriting and uh, my approach to hip hop. Game, um, I feel just just that that he's a street dude that that's not afraid to show his true colors, and I, I feel I'm the same way. You know, I, growing up in the streets, growing up in, in California and stuff like that, but. You know, I I have that, you know, the tough guy, whatever, the the street dude aspect, but I'm not afraid to show you how I really feel or tell you how I really feel about a situation and stuff like that. But at the same time, I'm also not afraid to run up on you if I have to. (laughs) No doubt. Um, And uh, going back to to, to Blue real quick, um, you know, Blue blue is below below the heavens. what uh what uh when it first came out what uh what impact did it have on on uh on your outlook um on as being uh, being being an artist and everything like that because it seems like it's like the like the bible for a lot of indie artists you know who were coming up during that time and 
Um, you know, I will say I'm not the biggest fan of the album, but I respect it a lot because he covers a lot of ground in a short amount of time with the album and going through almost every aspect that uh, an upcoming rapper goes through, um, you know, trying to make it. Yeah, you know, I, it didn't really hit me when it came out just because in, in 2007, um, shit, I was still in high school, like just, just being a knucklehead, I, I didn't really, you know, care too much about that. But, you know, later on, you know, as I was starting to become, you know, an up-and-coming artist, and then I heard it, it really hit home, and I was like, yo, like, this guy's, you know, describing the struggle, describing, you know, it's basically like the the, the struggle rapper's Bible, like like you were saying, like, it, you know, it basically, like, tell, tells everything that's going on, and, um, yeah, you know, as I listened to it, I'll, and I was coming up, I was able to relate to it so much, like, it, it just hit home on so many levels, and, um, yeah, you know, I feel like that that's a classic album from the production to the lyrics. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now, you know, going to mood music and, um, you know, one of the highlights there, well, I think the highlight of that mixtape, I'm, you know, going, going back to, I'm not, I'm not trying to dampen your spirits, but <laughs> going back to the, you know, to the subject of death. And I think um, If I Die Tomorrow is like, a, it exemplifies, um, you know, certain things that you were going through, you know, during this period. And, uh, and, you know, you, you even say that, you know, you, you regret not becoming a father up to that point. And so, uh, was there anything other, what, uh, what, what specific was going on that was a bit different from the documentary, your documentary phase that you faced, you know, going through mood, uh, mood music? Um, I, I feel they were kind of similar in, in mm-hmm. the aspect of, of still being on the come up, but I feel the mood music was, you know, me starting to get a little bit of success and me starting to see the insides of the industry and starting to see how things work and how, um, how I'm looked at in the industry and the mainstream media and white privilege and everything like that just kind of came into play. And it it just kind of me, you know, speaking from, from my perspective about like the inside of the industry and barely getting into it and, and seeing what's going on and stuff like that. Hmm. And uh, and and uh, yeah. So and keep on was uh, was the one that you mentioned the Ontario Mills, and I was just curious to know that you touched on this a little bit. But um, you know, how have you like uh, how have you seen the the, uh, the city of Ontario change? Do you think it's changed for the better, or do you think it's changed for the worse? You know, since you've come up. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel it's um it's grown a lot. You know, Ontario is one of the bigger cities, not only in the state but in, in the country now. Mm-hmm. Um, now that we have like the the international airport and a lot of things, a lot of businesses are starting to come to Ontario. So the population is starting to grow a lot. A lot of more people are starting to learn about the city. And you know, coming up, I I always had a feeling that that my Ontario was going to grow. So that's why I didn't want to conform and say I'm a LA artist or what that. I wanted to stay an Ontario artist because I feel like the city's going to grow to the point where people are going to recognize it like a like a San Diego or like a LA or something like that. Hmm. So yeah, I, I feel it's definitely grown for the better. Mm. And now you know, and so now transitioning to the to the freeway series, you know, where you know you can see this, you know, obvious growth and you know certain things that you've gone through, and it seems like in certain ways you're you know you're kind of putting you know you're kind of putting certain things away. Um, and the freeway series, I think, is, is my first is my uh, my most favorite project from you. I just think you and Omega have like a really really good chemistry together. Um, you know, things like Andy Song and uh, you know, and certain certain things like that that that, that were on like that were on that project, and 
it's, it's just much more inspirational when you mentioned, you know, ha- having a daughter who I think is two, is uh, two years old now. And um, how has having a child um, affected your music, your artistry, your outlook on life? Uh, you know, it made me realize that I'm no longer just living for me. You know, I'm living for my daughter now, not only to provide for her, but to also teach her about life and, you know, show her things and um, show her culture, teach her, teach her culture. And, you know, it also made me realize that that my she's going to hear my music, you know, when when she gets older, she's going to listen to what I, what I was saying and, and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I'm definitely conscious of uh, of that now every time I write and you know, I, sometimes, uh, you know, I write songs for her and knowing that she's going to listen to them when she gets older and have to di- decipher them and, you know, figure out what I was talking about and what I was trying to teach her and stuff like that. So, you know, I, um, I also feel like during the Freeway series that my songwriting grew like a lot. I feel like I grew a lot as an artist in between um the documentary and the freeway series like i feel like the documentary i was still you know coming in honing my craft and learning how to songwrite and stuff like that i feel like i was still very much just like a rapper that, that would rap over beats mm-hmm. and then mood music i feel like i started getting better at writing songs and then by the time the freeway series came around like i, I feel like that that's me like at, at you know finally reaching my songwriting potential mm-hmm and uh oh and so um so also um another question about your daughter so i noticed so i saw this um this very adorable uh picture with you and your daughter um on your twitter page and it's you know you two are in the airport you're pushing a, a stroller and everything like that and i wanted to know do you take your daughter with you on tours um this last tour i was able to take her for we actually went to europe uh, oh man that's dope. a week a week before the tour started okay so she was out there her and her moms were out there for like a, a week before the tour started and the day that, that the tour started you know they flew back to la and then i took off to uh, amsterdam to start the tour but um yeah you know they wouldn't be able to hang on the road like you know grown-ass men can't even hang on the road <laughs> but um yeah i mean i feel you know maybe maybe someday you know if we get to the level where we get you know a nice tour bus maybe i can take them with me mm. Well, I mean, well, you know, but just, you know, just, you know, just, you know, we briefly talked about, you know, the uh, mood music and, and the documentary, um, you know, what was that feeling, you know, like, you know, just being able to 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 bring your daughter you know, to just to bring your family with you, um, you know, not on tour per se, but just, you know, where you just in just to your just just off the strength of you touring. Man, it was dope. You know, it was, it was real eye opening just just getting to see that you know that that's even a possibility now, and um, yeah, that it's even an option, and you know that that's that's where I'm at right now at, at this level, and you know, hopefully we can continue to do stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to the freeway series, and you know, you and Omega were talking about it um, on the podcast, um, and you know, I know this is like the freeway series is kind of like your, you know, like your your dedication or your dream chasers. Uh, when do you think you and Omega will go uh, do another project? Well, I'm actually releasing a, a the freeway series part two with a different producer by the name of Phil the Pain, okay. and uh, it's he's an East Coast producer. He's from Boston, so um, it's going to have a completely different sound. But um, I'm definitely gonna link back with Omega for maybe part three or part four. But like I like you said, like dedication to Dream Chasers, I'm trying to keep the series going. Okay. Um, and now you know, and now up to this point, ten ten thousand hours, and um, 
you know, you, you, uh, you've talked about, you know, you, another blurb and you talked about some of these songs you wrote, you know, way back when, you know, I guess during, during the documentary series or a little before that, uh, but also, you know, just the title itself, 10,000 hours. And, and you have, uh, I think it's Malcolm Gladwell, like so, little snippets from Malcolm Gladwell, um, throughout your album, talking about, ten, talking about, uh, the 10,000 hour rule from his book outliers. And so, um, what impact has like that, like the, the 10,000 hour thesis had, what, what impact has it had on your career and just the book outliers itself, if at all? Man, it made, it made me realize that that if you really want to do this or if you really want to do anything that you really got to put in those hours, you really got to put in your time. You really got to practice your craft because at the end of the day, you know, you, you can open as many doors as, if, as you can. But if, you know, if you're not good enough, once you get in those doors, it's not even going to matter. So, you know, being having, you know, mastering your craft and putting in those hours and that practice and all, all that stuff really matters, man. And, you know, I, after I read that concept, you know, I started writing more every day. You know, I started focusing like there, I, I get mad at myself if like I don't write at least a song a day or if I don't write at least the 16 a day, like uh, I'll really get on myself. I'm like, yo, you, you need those. You need to add those hours up, you know, every day. Mm-hmm. And it seems like throughout the album, if I had to guess, the majority or like the bulk of some of the some of the older songs were like in the beginning, because it seems that it seems as if the album has progression where you go from like kind of this darker period, and then the second to like the latter half of the album is a bit more, you know, it's, it's more inspirational. You know, you have songs like "Pays Off" where you're you're talking about the hours that you put into the studio, you know, during touring, and it's with the business um, overall, and. Uh, I'm, you know, just going into, you know, like just the concept of having older rhymes and then eventually, you know, getting, getting them out there into the stratosphere. Um, have you ever gone through writer's block? And when you do write your rhymes, you know, how do you format your rhymes and how do you save them? Yeah, you know, I, I go through spurts sometimes. I'll, I'll have writer's block and I won't write a song for, you know, weeks. And then I'll, I'll have a spurt where I'll, I'll write, you know, 10 songs in in two three days it's it just kind of like whatever whatever i'm going through with the vibe or whatever at that time and um as far as saving you know i've i was real traditional i used to write all my stuff i have notebooks and notebooks saved of, of lyrics but now i've really gotten used to writing on the computer and filing and saving everything on the laptop it, it just keeps everything real organized and it makes it easier especially when you're it's time to submit lyrics to all these lyric websites and stuff like that just having everything already written down and typed out yeah um yeah like with me uh i'm still really not a fan of like writing like on my phone or anything like that but you know some you know sometimes you just you're just like in that situation where you just really can't pull like a pen and a paper out although i always have pen and paper with me and you just gotta like type like a line down like real quick and then that line becomes a verse or something like that yeah um, but then, like, I have, like, I have, like, two folders full of, like, all kinds of rhymes, and then I have certain rhymes, like, on my phone, and then it's easy because uh, I record when I, when I sit down, which is kind of weird, I know, and so it's just easier for me to have, like, the rhymes on my phone, so then I'll have to transcribe the rhymes from the folder to my phone, and it, so it's just kind of like a weird system, and then eventually I'll, like, you know, put them into, like, a folder, into, like, a text file or, like, a Word doc. Or something like that, but I'm still I'm still trying to figure out like how to do that, and and I realize that you know a lot of rappers now you know have like a different different ways of um you know archiving like their rhymes, and I know I know some like my brother for example, 
Um, he, I don't think he archives any of his rhymes. He just has like this big briefcase, and honestly, I don't know what he does with his verses after he like he he spits them. <laughs> which I'm kind of worried about. I need to talk to him about that actually, maybe <laughs> sooner or later. Um, but yeah, and so um, and then also uh, another, I, I would say the highlight because honestly, I think a lot of the highlights from from your albums are the ones where you like where you go like really really confessional and you you just re- really wearing your heart on your sleeve is uh, making me a man. Uh, and you know you really talk about you know your father passing and I, and I would say. Um, if there are, I mean, maybe there's some other, um, you know, songs that I just haven't, I haven't seen out there that, that are out there, that are available for me to, to listen to. But, uh, just based on what I've heard from you at this point, it seems as if making a man is like really you coming to grips with your father's death. And, you know, we all go through like a different, you know, we all go through different um, stages of grieving and everything like that. So um, do you think during, like during this period, like just recently, that like you've really kind of accepted your father's death and you, you've you learned to kind of move on, uh, move on from it or um, have you already moved on from it? And it was just, just like nothing more than just a way to, to, to memorialize your father. Yeah, that song was definitely me, you know, deal, dealing with that. You know, mm-hmm. I, I wrote, I started writing the song, you know, like right after my pops passed away. And um, I probably, I, I got through like the first verse, maybe like, maybe shortly after. And every time I would go back to write the song, you know, I just couldn't do it. Like I, I would start breaking down and I would, you know, just start thinking about my pops and I just couldn't do it. And every time I sat down to write for like a whole year, I, I was unable to do it. And then um, after about a year, I went back to try and write the record and then I heard it and, you know, everything just flew out. Like the second verse just flew out and it was kind of like, okay, it was, like you said, it was kind of me like coping with it and finally realizing like, all right, I'm okay with it now. I've grown from it. I've learned from it. And now I'm going to use this to motivate me to get to the next step. And that that's exactly what it did. Hmm. And now do you, now do you think, you know, bringing, bringing your daughter into this world, do you think that has something to do with um, you accepting your father's passing? Yeah, I mean they they were um they were real separate in years, you know. I had my daughter um 2 years ago, so that that was 5 years after my father passed. So it it was, you know, a good distance in between, but uh, I mean, I feel now now that she's here, I definitely um Yeah, I, de- I definitely feel like instead of the, you know, thinking about, you know, the negative revolving around his death, that now it's more like applying what he taught me to try and teach her and teach her better and show her better and give her better. Now, uh, when it comes to, you know, everything, things that, that, that you're doing now, you know, the, the music is lucrative for you, you're running your business. Um, how does, I mean, how does your mother, um, how does your mother feel about you, you know, being an artist, you know, just, you know, you telling me, you know, like that your parents immigrant background, um, has she accepted your, you know, you being an artist or does she still like don't really, or does she still like not know what you do? Yeah, no, she she's accepted it for sure. You know, she's um my mom's real supportive of my music. Uh, I feel like my brother being a DJ and stuff like that really opened the doors for that. Um, you know, my mom's been to a lot of my shows. My my mom's came to out of town shows. You know, to just just to surprise me, just to show up and support. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she knows she buys a lot of my merchandise. You know, whenever I release t shirts or something, <laughs> she'll buy a t shirt. My my mom's crazy, man. Like if I have a local show or or something like. She'll be like, yo, leave me some tickets and I'll, I'll try and sell them to my customers. Or if like I release a CD, she'll have her CD. Like she cuts hair, so she always has clients coming in and out. She'll be like, yo, I'll, I'll sell a CD to my customers or whatever. Like, 
Um, so she gets it. I mean, she, she's definitely um, hip and like with the business, especially, you know, my, like I said, my brother being a DJ, she kind of she kind of understands it. And she she's came to realize that her her she raised, you know, creatives were not, you know, anything else other than that. Like <laughs> <clears throat> not squares. Yeah. <laughs> um, and also you you have a younger brother, too. And right. Yeah. Right. And um and you know I I I've noted I think it was on the freeway series or maybe 10,000 hours I can't remember right now but uh you you know you you do mention him um here and there and you kind of talk you kind of allude to being a, a role model for him and so does your younger brother does he do music um or anything like that? Um I mean it's like my a half brother so uh, I don't get to see him too often. Mm-hmm. But I mean the times that that I had at one point, you know, I was like picking him up every weekend, and um, at the times, you know, me, all three of, you know, me and my two brothers have, you know, never really been in a room together aside from a few occasions. But every time that we manage to get each other in a room, you know, we we it, it evolves music. You know, the last time I was able to take him to to my brother's crib, you know, we we put him on the piano and he started playing keys, and then you know my brother started playing beats and I started mm-hmm. rapping, and it was like, yo, this this shit's like. It feels real, you know, but um, unfortunately, you know, I don't, I don't get to see him as often as I like and, and be that involved with, you know, the stuff that he's into and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of factors that come into play. You know, a lot of my aunts and, and family members that, you know, that play the in-between between us um, still don't understand the music. You know, they, they're still very look at hip-hop as a negative thing, like gang stuff, drug stuff and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I can understand it. You know, I tell them, you know, that they're ignorant and it's a new era and stuff like that. But, you know, they're they're just trying to protect my little brother, you know, give him the best too. So I understand it. But, um, yeah, you know, I, I can definitely see him getting older and, and, you know, hitting us up to, you know, get into the music stuff. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, you know, it's funny because, you know, listening to, you know, um, you know what you just said here um, on this episode and what you said, like, you know, previously about um, the importance of hip hop and how you think hip hop, you know, um, connects the races. And maybe about a month ago, because um, I teach and I was um, talking to one of my students, like I have like this one student, he's like a real hip hop head and he, you know, he wants to talk about Jizza and Wu-Tang after class all the time with me. And, uh, <laughs> and he asked me about you know what do i think about future because you know i guess the irony is i was talking about future's new album when it came out and you know you know you know of course you know future is future what he talks about and i'm talking to what about you know talking to future like you know when i'm like at work to these you know 20 19 19 year old 20 year old kids and you know i told him um you know by privately you know i told him that i really think that hip-hop is like one of the main reasons why race relations at least in this country have gotten a bit better because you know i can you know, I only have like one black kid or like one person of color or two people of color. And, you know, I can go into a room and I can say, have you listened to Kendrick's new album? And everyone will say, oh, yeah, I hated it. I liked it. You know, that gives us something to talk about. And, you know, they understand, um, you know, hip hop culture. They understand black culture a bit more. And then, you know, even with like Cypress Hill, they they can understand, um, you know, Latino culture a bit more. You know what I'm saying? So um, I definitely think that's probably honestly one of the main reasons why race, race relations have gotten a bit better outside of you know laws that people always break anyway <laughs> yeah I, I agree 100 percent, man yeah um and you know finally and i know i know you're i know you're a tired man uh 
Final question. So, again, going going all the way back to the Hip Hop Exposure Podcast in 2015, you mentioned that your goal was to go worldwide with with uh, with, with what you with, with what you do with your music and everything like that in your business. And it seems like you've done that. So, at this point, so in 2017, uh, what is your outlook? Man, uh, I didn't even realize that I had said that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, I've been able to tour Europe. I've been able to tour the States. I feel now it's just growing on on everything that I've been able to do, just um, putting more dots together, you know, maybe maybe touring more places. And, um, you know, I've just been able to see, like, all the the stats online grow, like every country that I've been in now. You know, I did my first show in Denmark this last tour, and, you know, I was looking at my Spotify plays uh, last week, and I, I seen you know Denmark's at the top of the charts, and it's like okay, this this shit's really starting to make sense. So I feel like everything that I've I've done has got me to where I'm at, and that it's just you know a stepping stone for the next level, and the next level is just growing on where I'm at right now, and you know just doubling the fan base, doubling the work ethic, doubling everything. Oh, wow, man, that's that, that's really dope, man. Um, you know, it's again, you know, it's, it's just really cool just to have like, you know, an independent artist like you, you know, um, on our platform and just to talk about your growth as an artist, you know, um, and how your personal life, you know, intersects with your with, with your music career and your business and your outlook um, on things and everything like that. It's just really dope to hear people like you um, just talk about your journey. Um, Thank and- you, man. Yeah, man, no doubt. And um, finally, just um, go ahead and plug you, plug all your stuff in. Where can people find you? Um, what do you have coming up on the horizon and everything like that? Yeah, um, check out my website, 60east.net, S-I-X-T-Y-East.net. Um, I'm on Twitter at 60east909, SoundCloud, 60east909, Facebook, 60east909. Um, my Instagram's the only thing different. It's at 60east. You know, hit me up. I, I'm an open book, man. Up and coming artist listening. You ever need any advice, any anything like that? You know, hit me up. Um, you know, any, anybody else? If you guys just in, into the music and you know curious about anything, hit me up. You know, I, I respond back to everybody. Cool. Now this has been another episode of the Channel Ten Podcast. Uh, hit us up at channel10podcast.com. Hit us up on Twitter at channel10pod. And we out. Peace. Peace. Feeling this here. Yeah, son. You feel it, man. What up, son? You got to do it, yo. Yo, what up, man? It's a different channel, son. What up? On, man. What up? Watch the channel, son. Different plane now, man. It's all good. What up? All good, baby. In every hood, son. What up? Yep. CNN Network Channel 10. It's on again. Street niggas is grown men. Bold face, got in your face. Stay in place, yo. Crime lace. Cast more beef than Scarface. CNN Network Channel 10. It's on again. Street niggas is grown men. Bold face, got in your face. Stay in place, yo. Crime lace. Cast more beef than Scarface.